I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the afternoon here on AusBiz Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. Great to have your company on this Wednesday, we're sort of in the midst of earnings reporting season. What a morning it has been. Commonwealth Bank out with an impressive result. Matt Common, the boss of the uh, Commonwealth Bank, joining us here on Ausbiz just after two o'clock this afternoon to go through it with us. Uh, Temple and Webster, big increase in revenue, uh, big drop in profits. Uh, who else have we had? We've had Babcor out today as well. Um, with a uh, with a profit slump, we had Dexus uh, with their industrial REIT um, with a big increase in profits. It's all happening at the moment. It is a ton of information coming in, and uh, so we're really lucky to be able to drag our expert panel away for the call today. Nathan Somersandara, from Deep Data Analytics, and he's got a. Uh, he's gone deep on a lot of data today, let me tell you. And Andrew Whelan from DP Wealth Advisory from Toowoomba. Morning, guys. Good to be here. How are you? Um, um, a barrage of stuff coming out. Uh, before we get onto the stocks and stock of the day, what, what's your reading coming out so far, Nathan? Oh, look, I think it's, it's a tale of two cities. Uh, I think the backward-looking data should be pretty strong. The economy has been pretty good. I mean, when you run a trillion dollar deficit, uh, sorry, debt, um, you're going to have a boosted economy. Uh, so the economy's done well. There's been a fair amount of spending going through. The question of how that translates. So we've seen even in the previous pandemic cycle, there are some stocks and some sectors have done really well transitioning into a reopening cycle and others haven't. And that's where the market is at the moment, trying to work out as we reopen, as we go back to the normality, who's going to do well, who's not going to do well. And that's that, That's going to, uh, I suppose, to separate the, the weak from the best. Yeah. Uh, Andrew, what's your reading? Uh, particularly the big big four banks, which your clients would be all interested in. Westpac, ANZ disappoints, Commonwealth Bank comes out and, uh, and blows them away yet again. Yeah, it was a, an impressive result and, uh, you know, scope to do an on-market buyback as well, $2 billion. NIM under a little bit of pressure and not giving any guidance is probably a little bit of an amber light, but certainly overall pretty good result there for CBA. And portends well for the broader economy as well, because obviously so many of us bank CBA. But I think from a broader point of view, one of the things that concerns me about the Australian share market is how concentrated it is. As you said, it's, you know, full of banks resource companies, et cetera. But if what's going to actually do well in 2022, um, we've seen iron ore prices going pretty well. China looks like it's going to be sort of scaling back some of its environmental uh, constraints for the want of a better term. It's a positive for iron ore, obviously rising bond yields and potentially interest rates are positive for banks. And you know, given our index is pretty heavily exposed to both of the, the materials and also the financial sector, it uh, sets a pretty good scene for 2022 despite 
all the other noise that's going on around us at the moment. Yeah, it really is an interesting time and uh, good time to keep uh, on top of it all. Um, let's start getting into the 10 stocks and our stock of the day that you've uh, suggested we take a look at and I'll put them to uh, Andrew and Nathan in this half hour. First half hour of the call, we're taking a look at SCA Property, uh, the BetaShares Crypto Innovators ETF, Webjet, Byron Energy and Argo Investors. So that is a really diverse group of stocks there. So, um, some interesting analysis coming up. Uh, stock of the day, thought we'd take a look at a favourite of many of the experts here on the call, Mineral Resources. Um, shares dipping this morning, uh, swinging to a first half loss on the back of a drop in iron ore prices in the second half of fiscal 21. Revenues also falling 12%. No dividend declared. Uh, despite the company's worst financial result in three years, the outlook somewhat optimistic as it remains on target to meet full guidance. Uh, this is the company with links to lithium, uh, but also a whole bag of uh, resources, iron ore and the like. Um, mineral resources normally, as I say, a bit of a favourite. Uh, Mathan, it's um, uh, probably the biggest fanboy of mineral resources is uh, one of your um, um, uh, colleagues, uh, shall we call him a colleague? Uh, Gaurav Sodhi from Intelligent Investor. Uh, he seems to be in love with Chris Ellison from uh, the Chief Executive of uh, Mineral Resources. Uh, what did you think of the update and the pullback in share price? Yeah, look, he's an acquired taste, as I always say. Um, some love him, some don't. Um, but look, at the end of the day, he delivers. He has the knack of being able to work out what the market wants to pay for and gets his hands into them. So he's got a piece of a lot of different pies uh, and he gets into the cycles ahead of most of the others. So in that context, you have to support him and you have to back him to do well. And I think he will continue to do well. Now, the problem is the market gets overly excited. Everything that can go positive has been priced into Minres. There's a fair amount priced in. So. I'm not surprised that the result wasn't great because obviously iron ore prices have come on dramatically. Now, the big question is, where do you see iron ore prices? If you think iron ore prices are going to keep going higher, you buy minerals. If you think iron ore prices are going to be a bit volatile, minerals is going to be volatile. So my guess is I think iron ore will go a bit lower. Um, I know that the Chinese are removing, um, I suppose, uh, pollution issues. Uh, and they're front-loading a lot of infrastructure projects to support weakness in the property side of things. So in that context, like for like, I think the Chinese economy will hold up, but I don't know if that's going to be strong enough to drive iron ore prices higher. There's a fair amount of speculative play in the iron ore, despite China trying to kill it. So I, I think the risk return at the moment, I think iron ore goes a bit lower and settles down, and that's the risk for me. So I'm not jumping in at the moment, but look, the guy is cool. Uh, the cycle is an you know, inflationary cycle, reflation. So in that context, commodities should do well and iron ore holds up. And he's got exposure now into multiple commodities. So you yeah. want to look at this multi-diversified play. So look, I think you want to buy into it, but I think in the shorter term, it's probably going lower. Yeah, Andrew? You certainly can't fault its performance uh, over a number of years. I'm just looking, the five-year performance is 38% per annum over five years. Jeez. So in essence, you know, it's doubling every two years using the old rule of 72. 
So it's pretty hard to sort of suggest that you shouldn't be looking very closely at this. And as I was just saying before, materials are certainly a place in 2022 in the year of uh, rising bond yields and inflation that you want exposure to. Certainly backing management with um, Ellison is certainly a positive as well. But I'm also looking at the chart and the chart looks pretty ordinary. Um, you know, in the context of what we're seeing is, as we just heard before, we've got that sort of speculative froth and bubble going on at the moment. Uh, and of course, you add lithium into the mix. And certainly, I'm not suggesting there isn't a need for lithium, far from it. But anything that's got lithium in it has certainly got a bit of a bomb under it at the moment. So I would perversely like to see it come under a bit more pressure. From a charting point of view, I would have thought sort of back into sort of around that sort of Low 50s, high 40s is probably where you want to be. I note consensus before the result was about $56. You might wow. see some downgrades wow. on that. But on balance, I'm a hold. Okay. All right. Let's get into the uh, stocks that you want us to have a look at. And Andrew Trent, first up, wants a view on SCA uh, Property Group. Um, had a pretty, recent, uh, pretty decent um, report uh, net profit up 320%. Investment portfolio increased by 426 million. Looks really good on the surface. Um, dividend, 7.2% uh, 7.2 uh, cents a share, up 26%. Um, but these sort of property funds, um, uh, revenues and profits aren't like a normal company, are they? Uh, it's revaluing the actual property. Yeah, property revaluations is obviously what's sort of driving things along. But if, if, I, if I pause there for a moment, um, if you look at it, so as you've just said, it's a property trust or um, in my day, it was called a listed property trust. Of course, these days they're called REITs, but it is in that space where it's a convenience REIT. So you think about COVID and obviously COVID hasn't gone away, but you take your mind back to 2020, as painful as that might be. Did you have a burning desire to go down to your biggest shopping centre that you could find? Or were you happier just going to your sort of local um, supermarket that also had the butcher candlestick maker? And you were probably happier going into sort of that smaller convenience um, environment. And that's really where SCA or SCP plays. It was actually spun out of Woolies. So I'd actually be surprised if a number of people who are watching the call don't already hold it by virtue. It, was, um, it came out of Woolies. It's got 97 properties. Um, worth about $4.6 billion. So it certainly is um, a strong franchise. Uh, they've been quite acquisitive um, relating to some of the acquisitions they've recently made. But as you also said, Koshi, uh, the business is sort of, to a degree, a function of property revaluations. And you would have to think that with bond yields on the rise, is that going to start putting a bit of pressure in that space? So from my point of view, it's a really well-run business. It certainly ticks the defensive box, um, but would I be racing it and buying it at the moment? I think consensus from memory is, it's trading probably about 10% below consensus, but those rising bond yields to me would be a concern. But if I was holding it, that defensive income would give me a lot of comfort if we're going to continue having all the twists and turns that 2022 will undoubtedly deliver. So mm. it is a whole. Uh, Nathan? Oh, look, I think Andrew is on the ball. Um, this is predominantly, I think, suburban shopping centres, uh, and they are locked in with anchor players like Woolies, Coors. Um, so, you know, they do well. Um, even in lockdown recovery cycle, um, shopping centres still get decent traffic. Uh, people don't just don't want to go into the city, but they go to the shopping centre. So that's been doing well, and I think they'll continue to do well. My problem is, uh, you know, number one, as Andrew said, 
bond yields. US 10-year bond yield is at uh, three-year high. Um, so you've got inflation rising and inflation is now moving into key areas like staff. Persistent key areas like wages, rent, uh, transport, food, these are hard to undo. Uh, it'll take time. So inflation is likely to be, remain strong, and I think rates are going to go higher. Um, so in that context, bond yields will have an effect on asset prices. So um, we may be at the end of that asset revaluation cycle in the property market. The other side of that you have to remember is a lot of the, um, I suppose, tenants, a lot of those guys, the small businesses are under real stress. They haven't been paying utilities, rents for a while. They don't have a lot of revenue. Outlook for consumer spending, I don't think it's going to be as good as last year. It'll get weaker uh, without the handouts. So in that context, you're going into a tougher outlook. A number of those small businesses will shut down. They'll get new people. Those kind of churn will start to affect. At the moment, everyone's assuming everything go, you know, goes uh, hunting for the next couple of years. I don't think that'll be the cycle. So it's going to be tough. But these guys are good, diversified, big players. So in that context, you're getting a defensive yield. You probably will take a bit of a, a downgrade in your yield expectations over the next couple of years, but they should be good. So if you're there for the yield and the safety, I think it's not bad. Um, okay. Otherwise, if you're trying to get growth, this is not the one for me. Okay, so a hold for you. Um, Andrew, let's get on to where Jack wants a view on the BetaShares Crypto Innovators ETF. Um, um, Jack says, uh, for the picks and shovels companies behind cryptocurrency, fees look relatively low and appears to be out of favour. Would this be a good long-term play? Yeah, thanks, uh, Jack. And Jack, you sort of almost stole my um, answer back to you around the picks and the shovels. Do you know, do you necessarily want to own the gold mine or do you want to own the pick shovels and wheelbarrow that's associated with it? So really, in other words, Koshi, what we're talking about is getting de facto exposure to crypto. Quite a polarising topic because we've got that new show on on, uh, on Ausbiz about uh, crypto and, and all that sort of stuff with Andrew. So certainly there is a demand for it. But I just wanted to quickly read to you the warning that BetaShares have on their front page. An investment in crypt should be considered very high risk. And then I'm paraphrasing here a little bit. Crypto assets are highly speculative. You should have a very high tolerance for risk and the capacity to absorb a rapid loss of some of your investment. Wow. So in other words, uh, we've got uh, Argo coming up. If we were sort of have two ends of the barbell, <laughs> Argo at this end, the crypto this end. So um, well done to uh, to Libby for putting this uh, eclectic mix together because um, yeah, you really do need to sort of want to have a far more aggressive attitude to risk. Having said all that. Um, Look, it, it's not a bad one. It's certainly got exposure to software. It's got exposures to exchanges. It's got exposure to regional banks. The index that it follows is down about 39% over the last three months. But for the last 12 months, uh, the index, not the crypt, because the crypt hasn't been listed that long, the index it follows has been up 14% for the year. So that just reinforces that volatility piece. I note that uh, Bitcoin's back over $40,000 at the moment. So really, if you want to punt, because that's really what this is, I wouldn't necessarily call this an investment. This is a punt. If you're looking for a punt and you're wanting to punt where crypto is going, this is a way in which to do it. But I would have a very small position size simply by virtue of the really volatile nature, not only what I'm saying, but what BetaShares are telling you as well. Okay. All right, Nathan. Um, look, um, people know that I have no idea whether this is the greatest investment of a generation 
or the greatest investment scam of a generation, cryptocurrency. I understand blockchain. I'm happy with blockchain. I understand it could revolutionise industries, but cryptocurrencies, uh, call me a dinosaur, but I've got no idea. Well, the, the reality is, um, it's one thing I've learned is, even in a complete scam, there's, a, um, there's opportunities to make a lot of money because it, <laughs> yep. it is amazing. I, I still remember, yeah, I mean, I remember all these blow up st uh, stocks. People tell you it's a sell at a dollar and it goes to $10, $11 and then it falls to $8. Sure, I'll take the 20% you know, 20 loss from yep. the peak and sell out and I still made eight times. So, yep. you know, uh, this, is, this is the beauty of it. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to judge whether cryptocurrency is the answer or not. Uh, agree with you, blockchain technology is, I think it existed pre, now it's a much more cleaner solution and I think it'll play a big part in a lot of areas. Now that's the interesting part about this um, ETF is that it's not specifically going to be benefiting from cryptocurrency per se, it's whatever happens in that space uh, yep. because you're selling, you're selling the infrastructure play. So I, I look, I, I like it, but it's again, horses for courses. This is high risk, as Andrew said. There's there's no going around it. It is high risk. Um, you are in a rising bond yield environment. Growth stocks are getting hammered, and this is on the pointy end of it. So there's going to be volatility. If you don't like volatility, this is not for you. This is not for the faint-hearted. But in saying that, be patient. Wait for all the dust to settle. Once we know where we are with the bond cycle, things close, you know, settle down. Growth stocks take take a bit more. Probably one more leg lower. And when once that settles, then this will be interesting. Um, you know, for the ones that want to take a high-risk approach, I think this is an interesting play, but not right now. I think there's another leg lower until the bond market settles down, and once that happens, this will be an interesting play to have. Okay. All right. Phoebe wants a view on uh, Nathan on Webjet. We've had uh, a big pop in a lot of the travel stocks since um, the the government announced what February 21 international borders are opening. Uh, I know, which everyone rejoiced and now everyone's thinking, oh, what does vaccinated mean? And each of the states taking their own <laughs> view. So it's usually two steps forward in this and one step back, is it? Yeah, it is. I, I think uh, when we were uh, on last Monday, we were talking about what potentially could move hard. And uh, and my suggestion was Flight Centre and WebJet because yeah. the, the massive amount of shorts in there. Uh, you have to remember the huge amount of shorts. I think Flight Center's got 15%. I think WebJet's about 9%. So when these things, when the macro turns on these guys, short covering, and you get big moves. And that's happening again. Now, the question would be is, have a look at the previous cycle. So we got to about uh, probably around the high sixes last time. Uh, there's still a decent amount of shorts. Uh, we'll probably go a bit higher. The thing to remember is most of the travel businesses, whether it's Flight Center or WebJet, they've issued a lot of shares. Their actual market cap is a lot bigger than what uh, the share price will uh, show. So, for, I mean, I've done this on Flight Center. Flight Center has issued, since the pandemic, nearly double their number of shares. So a $40 Flight Center is, at $20, it's the same as $40 on a market cap level. Same problem with WebJet. They've issued a lot of shares. It's not diluting the share price, so it gives the perception that it looks cheap, but it's not. The market cap is a lot bigger than what people think. Uh, because of the number of shares now so in that context you when you see these bounces they're not going to go to those pre-pandemic levels so get that out of your mind so you have to look at that dilution that's going to play out now the other side of it is most of the earnings will take two to three years to catch up assuming we don't have any more variants and more problems right 
So it's going to take a couple of years for them to catch up. So you're buying something um, at probably so you know around seven dollars. You're buying a pre-pandemic type uh, budget with the view that you're going to be sitting there for a couple of years for the earnings to catch up. Is the market that uh, uh, subtle? Is that willing to sit that long? No, market will sell out. So the, the reality is, it's a trading stock. This is going to run up uh, because of the shorts. You'll get flight center, webjet, all the travel stocks will run up because of short covering. And then it'll overrun the valuation. And then people will go, oh, crap, I better take profit. And then it'll come back. Um, and all the travel restrictions, uh, I mean, from everyone I've talked to who are traveling around right now, it's a lot harder than what people think. There's a lot of things that you have to go through to travel. So it's not as simple as what people think. So it'll take time. Things will be slower. So. Yeah, if it runs, look, if it runs into the mid sixes, anywhere from six to 650, I'm taking profit and then coming back later because I think you'll get it cheaper. Okay, all right. Uh, you, you did bring up last week. So last week you also said Commonwealth Bank was a raging sell. Do you still think well, I'm that? still on it. Yeah, still? Well, I'm still on it. Okay. Uh, there's, a, there's a fair amount of shorts built into the Combank over the last three months. They all got covered today. So you get right. the bounce. Look, look, it's the best bank. That's like saying I'll buy the best house in a crappy street. Um, the sector is overvalued. Their main play is property sector and yields are going up. So it's going to get tougher. Okay. Uh, Andrew, what do you think of Webjet? And do you think Commonwealth Bank's a raging sell? I was about to say, uh, I was waiting for that Commonwealth Bank laser to come on me. Um, <laughs> look, I... I think it's probably fair value at the moment because it's always traded at a premium to the other banks. And Henry, my uh, my usual sparring partner, Nathan, great to have you on board. You know, someone sensible today. But uh, Henry <laughs> has, um, you know, what he calls his bank basket, his big bank basket, and really tracks how they're all going. And that's peaking and actually coming off a little bit because I think, again, we're all excited when bond yields were rising and NIMS are going to go up and this is going to be fantastic. And we're now seeing that CBA today won't even give us guidance. We're seeing their NIMS are under pressure at the moment. Okay. So I think banks, uh, CBA in particular, is a hold, quality franchise, but it's a hold. Okay. Um, relating to Webjet, which is what you're actually trying to ask me, instead of me rambling, uh, I, I agree. I think it's a trading stock. Consensus valuation is about six bucks, 604, I think is the 12 month valuation. And as we just saw there before, it's up 19% for the year. Um, in anticipation, um, as we can see, it hasn't been so good over the last five years. Um, in fact, it's down, I wrote this one down before, it's down 6% per annum over the last five years relative to the ASX S&P 200, which is up 8.8%. So down yeah. 6% versus the market up 9 Turn It is a trade. You're a hard market. Poor buggers. Two of those years were in a pandemic and everyone was travelling. <laughs> so that would take your five year down. It's, well, Koshi, if we're going to play that game, the ASX S&P 200 was also down during those periods of time too. Um, look, it's not a bad company. It's got $400 million in cash. It's got over 50% market share to domestic travel bookings. Uh, they get one and a half times the bookings relative to their peers. It is a quality business, but it's just like airline companies. You know, do I buy Qantas at record highs? No, because if Qantas... If I'm, if I'm um, an airline business and the plane's only half full, does that mean I only put in half the fuel, pay half the pilot's fees, pay half the landing fees? No, it's a very high fixed cost business. So this is a really volatile business. It's popping because of the government announcement. It will come under pressure because 2022, the year of volatility, 
And when it's 550, that's the time to buy it, not where it is at the moment. Okay, so you'd sell at these levels, like Nathan, it's in his six to 650 mark. So would you do that for Webjet, Flight Center, corporate travel, all of them? Not so much corporate travel. I think there's actually a real appetite in corporate travel land, albeit, you know, we're all now used to Skype, Teams, Zoom, et cetera. But certainly in domestic travel, uh, all we need is, the, and I'm not wishing it on any of us, but the next pandemic variant to come on through and shadow lockdowns and all that sort of stuff, it's probably at the bottom end of a cell, if that makes sense. Right. So if it sort of stayed where it is, it's probably a hold. But as Nathan said, if it went to 650, I'm out. Right. Okay. Interesting. All right. Uh, our next uh, stock, Susie wants a view on um, Andrew Byron Energy, uh, oil and gas exploration production company headquartered here, but with operations off uh, Louisiana in the Gulf of Mexico. That's exotic. Yeah, we're mixing it up today. We've gone from a $2 billion company to a $146 million, right. And we're right. trading only 86,000 shares a day, $86,000 a day of shares right. traded. So again, okay. if you remember, okay. one of the things I look at, and I think Henry does, and I'm sure Nathan does too, is how difficult is it to get in or more importantly, out of something? You know, there's companies called crab pot stocks where it's easy to get into them, but it can be difficult to get out of them if that liquidity is not there. And certainly I put Byron into the, I'd be a bit cautious about loading up if there's only $86,000 a day traded. Um, certainly in the right space, that energy space and what's going on at the moment relating to the um, oil price. And in fact, if you have a look at their last quarter's results, last quarter they got about $72 a barrel US relative to $65, but a lot of that um, and I'm, the reason I'm mentioning this is because they had issues with hurricanes. And of course, not that I pretend to be a meteorologist or a knower of all things Gulf of Mexico, but even cursory, I know there's probably two to three hurricanes a year that tend to rip through the Gulf of Mexico. And that certainly wouldn't be a positive for this company. So I also note that they're having a good old go burning through cash. They've only got about 1.6 million US left. Now, we'd all love 1.6 million, but given the rate in which they're burning through it, it does also raise questions as to whether they, in fact, may need to go out and do a capital right. raising. Right. So uh, I'm a hold, if not sell. Okay. Uh, Nathan? Jeez, you'd have thought Andrew was actually being pessimistic on this one. Uh, <laughs> Oh, I think, look, he's, he's bang on. I mean, it's a, it's an explorer. I mean, energy sector has been one of those sectors that hasn't actually done anything through 2021. And it's starting to move a bit in 2022. But the reality is oil prices are shooting out, but most of our stocks are LNG gas linked. And even though gas prices to Asia have just shot up, sector hasn't moved at all. So people don't, it's, it's one of those ones where it struggled with the commodity prices. The one, the few stocks that have had actually, um, kind of, I suppose, producing oil, uh, like Karoon, have actually done really well. So if you are in those ones, you've done well. If you, you know, with commodity prices going where they are, if you're not running now, when are you going to run? Um, so in that context, you can see the problems. It's small. And Andrew's right. There's not too many fund managers in there because they just can't get out if they get in. And the track record, management hasn't been able to sell the story. So you can see it in the share price. Um, so again, energy sector is an underperformer. Our energy sector actually has underperformed even the US one. Um, so in that context, you've got to look at it and say, 
if you are not doing well, you, this is not the time to pick the guy to turn around. This is too oh. tough. So bar energy is too tough here. Illiquid, it just doesn't tick anything. Okay. All right. Uh, Zoe uh, wants a view, Nathan, on Argo Investments, uh, one of our oldest listed investment companies. Is this the one um, Don Bradman founded? I think the uh, yeah, all cricket, right. cricket buffs out it's, there, and I know Nathan's a cricket buff. All the moons are aligned in Cushing, South yep. Australia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you think, Nathan and Vargo? Uh, look, you know, they've been around. That's, that's, that's all you have to say. They've been around through the cycle. Uh, they're proven players. They're, that'll do well. They're not going to, you know, shoot the lights out, but they're not going to blow up. Um, and if it goes down, you can, you know, be happy to sit back and watch them come back up. So you're playing that. But the interesting part here for me is, um, if you're looking at that, it, also, you've got to look at your risk return. If you're looking for uh, a safety play, solid play, and you've been there for it, by all means, hold it. Um, I don't think it's cheap, but I don't think it's ever going to be that cheap. So, um, you know, you're there, it's a hold. But I find it interesting in this sector is you've got to, you know, as they say, you've got to buy things when there's blood on the floor. There is not much more blood that can be coming out of some, something like a Magellan or a platinum around these levels. So for me, when I'm looking at fund managers, I go, Jesus, you've got to look at these guys. And But no need to jump in early. Just sit back, wait for it to turn. They, you need the first positive update. At this point, it's been downgrade after downgrade. Um, you know, if you're after the sexy return, I wouldn't be going into Argos. I'll be looking at Magellan and platinum waiting for the first upgrade. But if you're there, they've done well. I don't have any problems with it. You hold on. Um, if you're there for the defensive yield, stable play, they do okay. what they do. All right. Okay. Uh, I've had a number of cuts from catching the uh, Magellan knife on the way down in my little super fund. I'm wondering whether it's worth... I did, uh, take, I did, I did tell you. <laughs> Taking another cut. Yeah. <laughs> um, Andrew? Koshy little super fun, give us a break. Um, <laughs> I, um, I guess from um, from an Argo perspective, as opposed to the Saran super fun, the enormous Saran super fun. Um, look, I really like Argo, big fan of Argo. As you know, I love my ETFs, passionate yeah. about my ETFs, one might say. But you know what? It's a really well-run business. They're managing, oh, sorry, they've got a $7.2 billion market cap. Um, as you said, they've been around since 1946. It's an incredibly well-run business, 95,000 shareholders. Probably the thing that um, we, you just need to keep in mind, and, and Nathan just sort of touched on it, is that if it all got too hard for Argo today and they just sold everything up, based on last month's announcement to the ASX, they said their NTA was $9.52. Wow. What, what's the share price at the moment? Around you know, 10 bucks, just to pick a number. So basically, we're paying 5% over asset backing after tax, after, after tax asset backing. We're paying that because of how well they've managed the business and so forth. Whereas if I was to buy an ETF, a dollar is a dollar. Yep. So that's the one yep. key difference with the LICs, list investment companies like Argo, AFI, et cetera, relative to an ETF. If you're happy doing that and you know what you're getting into and you've got that 20 year, I mean, I've got money for my kids in Argo and I've had it for literally 10, 15 years. I knew, I knew that when I bought it and it hasn't been an issue because I haven't sold it. But if you're trying to sort of turn it over in a short period of time 
And as Nathan was just talking about, you know, we go from a premium to NTA to actually a discount to NTA. We've seen that with Dejera, DJW as an example, we used to trade at a big premium, it's now trading at a, at a discount. That's where you can come undone. But, you know, they own their biggest top five holdings in order are Macquarie, CSL, BHP, Westfarm and CBA. You are not going to go broke buying those companies. So right. great business, right. long term, uh, but I wouldn't chase it either. Okay. All right. Let's recap. The uh, the first uh, five stock, stock of the day is Mineral Resources. A no from Nathan. Andrew says it's a hold. Would uh, have got down around that $50 mark. Uh, he'd be back into it. Uh, SCA property, a hold from both uh, the BetaShares crypto um, ETF, uh, high risk for a high risk investor. If you want to punt, um, put a little bit in, don't go overboard, uh, could pay off for you. Uh, Webjet is a, uh, a sell from Nathan, um, if in that six to 650 mark as it's it's actually popped up to that level uh, now, 601. Um, and for Andrew, it's a hold, but also understands and, and sort of agrees with Nathan. It's a trading stock. And if it gets up to around 650, take some profits. Uh, Byron Energy, a no from Nathan, uh, hold to a sell from, uh, uh, from Andrew. And Argo is a safety hold, if that's the type of investor you are from uh, from Nathan. Uh, Andrew loves it, but not at a premium. Um, here on the call, we've been following our own fantasy portfolio since the 1st of July last year. Let's check how it's going. Uh, up about half a percent for the week, down about 5% for the month, uh, up almost 4% since July 1 last year, and since its inception, up almost 40%. Um, before we get to our next five stocks, uh, I've been telling you, giving a bit of an update this week, we're changing the fantasy portfolio and uh, basically changing it to a live uh, high conviction uh, fund with a smaller basket of stocks. So we'll still go through the 10 stocks you suggested, stock of the day, put them to our experts. But um, instead of a, a unanimous buy automatically going into the fantasy fund portfolio, or a unanimous sell automatically coming out, it will go to an investment committee uh, that we're putting together who will take a look at the whole portfolio and see whether the buy goes in or whether the sell goes out. And they'll take into account sort of changing weightings for the portfolio, things like that. They'll discuss each of the recommendations from our um, expert panels. Um, if they've got any queries on particular stocks, we might uh, get the chief executive in to answer questions from the, from the investment panel. All of it is designed to really take you inside the minds of the experts, how they look at putting a portfolio together. So we will have an extra edition of the call every month as we will record and film uh, the investment committee and their discussions. So uh, I think it's going to be fascinating. It's all about not just un understanding whether individual stocks are good for you or not, but how it fits into a portfolio. So uh, that starts from the 1st of March.
At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. Um, in the second half of uh, the call here, we're going to be taking a look at, uh, at the Transurban. Uh, we're going to look at Vanguard's Ethically Conscious Australian Share Fund, um, Infomedia, Melbana Energy and Joyce Corporation. All right, uh, let's get into it. And Andrew, Natalie, what's a view on Transurban, the, uh, the big toll road um, owner? And Koshi, very quickly, that uh, call um, investment manager meeting, I'll be watching that. I reckon that will be absolutely fascinating. I think um, in the context of, as you said, giving people the insight as to how to build a portfolio and the considerations, that's excellent. Well yeah. done. Um, yeah. Certainly with Transurban, it's it's solid. It's, and not because it's a whole lot of concrete, it is <laughs> uh, really good business you know 39 billion dollars worth of infrastructure assets all over the place probably again one of the themes um we should have a bingo card made up um, because if i've said rising bond yields you'd be ticking that one off quite nicely that's really going to be impacting this style of business as well because when you're managing that amount of uh, infrastructure you're going to have a large amount of debt as well and that's certainly going to be impacting upon their cash flows because again, these businesses aren't valued on you know, how many metric tons of cement they've got. It's actually on the uh, function of all the cash flows that are coming back. And as interest rates are rising, bond yields are rising, then that impacts their valuation. Um, we, we here tend to prefer buying an ETF which might have um, Transurbit in there. So if you're an active investor, something like Mitch, M-I-C-H, the Magellan one, or if you're more passive, IFRA. Um, they're probably the two that we would be looking at, but certainly it's trading well below consensus at the moment. It's a quality business, but um, I would just be very mindful of rising bond yields and hence having a basket full of them rather than mm. just sort of one of them. Okay. So good enough to still hold if you're in it? 100%. You know, okay. as I said, consensus yep. is 1447. So oh, okay. there's nothing wrong with it at all. Our philosophy is that a basket's better yep. than an individual yep. name in this space. Mason. It's a hold. Yeah, I, look, I, look, I think Transurban is a, it's a high quality business model for what it is. It's geared to the eyeballs. Uh, that's what the business model is. Uh, you buy assets, government build assets badly and overpay and then these guys come in and buy it cheap and they lock in profits for years to come but that's locked in with uh, a lot of debt so as andrew said when cost of borrowing goes up these guys struggle and uh, and the other part is in a weird way um, what's happening with the pandemic has dramatically reduced the amount of traffic so that's going to see a bit of weakness and how that plays out who knows uh, we've seen things recovering and Generally, they make most of their money on trucks. Um, so it's it's going, you know, trucks going from distribution channels to the supermarkets and distribution networks and so forth. That's where they make most of their money. And that, so that should keep going quite well. I think they're a solid enough business that they should be doing okay. Um, but it's the cycle where we are. But um, it's a hold because of an interesting thematic. 
So we are in the middle of a tapering cycle. So US Fed is tapering, everyone else is in denial, um, including RBA. Um, US Fed is going to taper, they're going to finish their QE, they're going to put up rates, and then they're going to start looking at reducing the balance sheet, which means there's a fair amount of financial tightening that's going to play out. Historically, when you go through a tapering cycle, the bond yields actually go the other way. So when tightening happens, fund managers take money out of the equity markets and put it into bonds because it's less risky. So in a weird way, when the tapering starts to bite, bond yields will actually come off first. And this is the inverse to the bond yield. So if bond yields come off, Transurban should do better. I don't, I'm not a fan of Transurban in the current macro environment, but I wouldn't sell it right now because I think you've already taken the hit. I think the bond yields come off when the risk gets on. And bond yields, as they come off, these defensive assets should do better, and I would be selling into it. The other thing to remember is, why are the big guys buying up things like Sydney airports? Because the growth outlook over the next couple of years or the next decade is going to be a lot harder. So the security of solid infrastructure earnings has to be something that you should look at as part of your portfolio. That's what the big guys are doing. So Transurban does have a play in your portfolio. Okay, really interesting approach to that. Uh, thank you for that. Um, ben, Andrew wants to be on the Vanguard Ethically Conscious Australian Shares ETF. And uh, Koshi, as you would well remember, late last year we had that special. We had uh, yep. James Whelan yep. and, and others. So I'd, I'd encourage people to go to the uh, Ausbiz app or your streaming uh, of choice and, and check that out because that was really insightful. And in fact, we spent a bit of time talking about a number of ones in this space, including the Vanguard product, Veith. Um, it's got about $339 million funds under management because um, the um, MER, that management expense ratio, it's pretty sharp. It's pretty tight at 0.16. We just said before, Argo uh, at 0.14, so 0.16 is pretty good too. And it tracks... Uh, a particular index, the FTSE 300 Choice Index. And what that does is it excludes a number of areas. I won't go through them all, but things like fossil fuels, alcohol, tobacco, gaming. So, you know, if, you, if you've got a, an ESG bent, an ethical social governance bent, you are concerned about some of those areas that I just covered, then investing in this product, this ETF, it holds 253 companies. It's about 35% financials about 12% healthcare and 12% materials, main holdings, CBA, CSL, ANZ, Westpac. So certainly nothing wrong with it. You might remember though very briefly, Koshi, that just because something is ESG, like my view of ESG might be different to your view of ESG. So yeah. there are different flavours. So a couple of others to think about, certainly very comfortable with this one, but others to think about might be E200 from State Street or FAIR from beta shares. Again, different bents on it, coming at it from the right place, but there are a couple of other ways, but certainly very relaxed with Veith, long-term, happy to buy it. Okay, uh, Nathan? Yeah, this is an interesting one. Um, and we do have a, a ETF model for um, ESG investing, and uh, we kind of put a bit of defensive protection in it um, through the last year because of the simple fact that they do well uh, in the macro we were in. Because think about it this way, as Andrew explained, you take out you know, all these um, sort of mining, fuel, all of those stocks that have underperformed out of it, uh, what you're left with, especially in the dominant play, you've got the financials and then you've got the growth plays like healthcare and tech, uh, take, you know, play a fair amount to do it. So in that context, they all had multiple expansion because of stimulus. So you've had a huge run 
and you excluded a lot of the bad sectors that underperform like resources purely because that's not in your universe. So by definition, they had this beautiful two, three years where the numbers will look really good. And when, when the Fed started to move, you knew this cycle was going to turn. So this is where we've had this pullback and this recovery. I'm not so sure it's going to be a, that quicker recovery because a lot of the sectors that they benefited uh, for their performance over the last couple of years will not see the same kind of multiple expansion without the stimulus. But they'll still be good, but they won't be as good. So you have to taper your expectations to what you have seen in the last three years. It's going to be lower, but still be good. So in that context, you've got to manage risk. But I think it's an interesting one. Again, similar to what we are talking about transurban before. Think of the macro cycle. We probably are in one more leg lower um, and bond yields will come back a bit. And in that scenario, growth stocks will get hit and ESG tends to back a lot of growth stocks. So in that context, financials and growth stocks will get hit and then you'll get the recovery. So again, I think there is probably one more leg lower and this will probably get hit. So I would be, if you're in it, it's okay. I will hold it. But if you're putting fresh money, I'd probably wait. Okay. All right. Um, Nathan Cooper wants a view on Infomedia. Now, this is uh, targeted at the automotive industry. Uh, it was the old Red Book, wasn't it? I think that um, um, uh, auto dealers, car dealers used to have and check prices of parts and different cars. And basically, they put it all online in a platform. That's right. It's a, it's it's a simple one of the simplest techs. Um, and you know, you look at the uh, price of cars, especially used cars, you realise you're going to fix your car. <laughs> so yeah. the, the same problem. When I still when I started looking at the well, used car prices going through the roof, the first thing I did was I took my car in for servicing. Better fix this thing because I don't want to buy a new car. Um, so in that context, I think the car industry is doing relatively well. Most stocks have done really well. Infomedia hasn't, um, and it's been beaten up. We've had management change, they've made an acquisition, um, and again, all of these things have been belted on it. So it, it's one of those stocks that I actually like because it's a good defensive play, and I think the recent acquisition is actually pretty good, it's accretive, um, and the market is really in this one throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Um, the model is a lot more defensive um, than what people think. It's not your classic tech, but it's getting hit like a tech. So again, it's a massive underperformer. I think it's an interesting one, but I think it'll take a bit of time. Um, I think it'll probably do nothing for six to 12 months till management proves themselves. So the next couple of data points are gonna be key, but this is worth the risk. I think it's a good enough model. Mm. Uh, and I think the management's done the right thing, but didn't get the benefit for it. So I would be, um, you know, this is one for the patient investor, but um, I think it's worth it. Okay, uh, Andrew? Yeah, Koshi, it's a hold. Um, and the main reason being is we have an interim CEO at the moment. The uh, former CEO left in October. And as you know, I'm a big fan of management. And uh, given we don't actually know what management really looks like, and then as Nathan was saying, you know, they'll want to make their mark on it and so forth. Uh, inevitably, there's skeletons that are found. And, oh, look what they did. Look how good I am. You know, so um, I I would just be a bit cautious. I agree. It's a great business. I was just looking at some of the numbers. 14% return on shareholders' funds, 23% margin. So, you know, from a financial point of view, it's a very well-run business, but it's also fully priced. P of 24 versus forecast earnings growth of 22. So with that management uncertainty, it is a hold. Hold. Okay. 
Um, we're getting some pretty exotic uh, energy uh, suggestions today. Georgia wants a view on Melbana Energy. Uh, the stocks, according to Georgia, uh, increased 50% over the last couple of weeks after that drilling update on their Alameda uh, One Hole, which is in Cuba. Uh, the results are expected to be released when they reach drilling depth. Um, Andrew, what do you think of Melbana Energy? It's just looking at the code there before May and my heart just stopped briefly because, of course, uh, those of us who <laughs> have been doing this long enough would remember May Nicholas and all the pain yeah, that went right. there. And I went, oh, no, am I back in 2003? No, no, it's not May Nicholas. Um, again, as you just said, Koshi, so eloquently exotic. Um, that's probably the best way of putting this. Uh, 170-odd million market cap. You know, I'm having a bit of a swing and a punch at Byron at $86,000 a day traded. Makes it look like a superstar compared to May, which is $48,000 a day. So again, another pot charts tells us a lot. Um, holding $20 million in cash, which sounds great, uh, but they burnt through $15 million in the last quarter. And the reason what? they got some dollars in, they got about $10 million in by selling some tenements off. So again, you'd have to think this is another candidate for capital raising, uh, which in itself is an amber light. Um, as we just saw there before the chart, it's a little scary, the fact that it's very difficult to get set in it. So I can think of lots of reasons, sadly, not to be there. Uh, Nathan? Yeah, oh, look, it's it's a micro cap, 170. It's funny how you can say it's 170 and then it moves two or three, you know, one cent and it'll, it can go from 170 million market cap to 150, 140 very quickly. Um, so this is illiquid. Um, the stock hasn't done much for four or five years and you've been jammed up. There's 2.6 million shares. Sorry, 2.6 billion shares. Um, there's a lot of shares being issued. Um, and this will take a bit of time. And in an energy sector that's already struggling, this is speculators' play. If you know something and you're backing management to do it, good luck. Um, it's a speculative punt, um, and this is too much for me uh, to bet on. It's not there for me. Okay. Uh, our final stock is a bit less exotic. Uh, Hamish wants a view, Nathan, on Joyce Corporation, the uh, big retail betting uh, franchise chain, Bedshed, uh, uh, um, uh, Bedshed, and also uh, Kitchen Stores are the two uh, two franchises. Have it, it, is this the old Joyce Main or spun out of the old Joyce Main? Totally different. No, I don't think so. I think they they've been taken out. By, uh, that was a different. It's been made yep. into a different branding. Um, look, I think I'll I'll start with the whole retail play. I think the retail sector is really interesting because uh, people are looking at multiples and thinking this is they look pretty cheap. Retail sector multiples always look cheap at the top of the cycle because every analyst forecasts that the growth and the performance goes never ending. Um, what you have to remember is the last couple of years with pandemic, a lot of people earn more money than they would have when they were normally working. And they spent more money than they would have because they got nothing else to do and they're stuck at home. Uh, and they're buying online. So the guys and property prices went through the roof. So, you know, tick, tick, tick. This is in the right area, benefited from all the cycles. And the question would be, is, can that be replicated into the future years? I think it's going to get harder. The same reason why I think Combank struggles, uh, the same reason I think 
um, most of the bigger retailers struggled because everyone bought everything for work from home. Uh, everyone became a chef. Everyone became a handyman. Everyone, not good, but we did it anyway. Um, we all bought stuff that we shouldn't have bought. Now, the question is, we're probably not going to do that every year. And so a lot of these things, you know, new couches, new things, these are not going to be bought every year. So I think you're going to do a weaker spending cycle and most of these stocks will struggle. So I've got a list of the really good guys who've done really well through the online transition and actually held their model. And you want to keep a list of those guys. And this one doesn't quite make that list for me. Okay. Uh, benefit from the property cycle, but I don't know if they can keep that going when the property cycle starts to fade out. You know, you think of boring stocks like Shaver Shop, things like um, um, what's it, AX1, LaVisa, CDC. These guys have converted really well. So, in you know, you want to look at the high-end, good quality executors in retail because I think the cycle gets harder for the next couple of years. Yeah, and Andrew, we we do have some really good retailers in this country, don't we? Um, how does Joyce stack up? Yeah, I like it a lot, Koshi. Um, but again, I was in having a little bit of a go at some of these illiquid ones today. Libby, you do an amazing job. I love you a lot. Um, however, um, we've got eleven thousand dollars a day traded on this one. Ah, ah, okay. $11,000 a day. So even if I was madly in love with this stock, and I do like it, you know, ROE of 29, 5.1% fully frank dividend. Uh, however, I can't buy it. It's just really, it's yeah. really hard to get set in it. Uh, the other thing, Koshi, new CEO, new chair, new CFO. Um, I don't think they're going to stray too much from the well-worn path of previous management. It all seems very amicable. But again, they were going to want to put their stamp on it. So uh, Nathan's bang on for all the macro factors, but I think on a company-specific basis, hard to get set, few changes taking place. Uh, I just can't buy it okay. to hold. Uh, Andrew, thank you for your time from DP Wealth Advisory. Great to have you aboard. Nathan Somersandaram from uh, Deep Data Analytics. Always great. Great chat today. Good selection of uh, stocks too. Really different. Um, let's just recap the uh, the final five stocks. Uh, Transurban is a hold from both Nathan and Andrew. Um, um, Andrew prefers in these infrastructure stocks to hold a basket uh, through an ETF like Ma Magellan's infrastructure uh, ETF. Um, the Van um, Ike Ethical ETF, a yes from Andrew, a hold from... Um, uh, from Mathan, InfoMedia, uh, a yes from Mathan, a hold from uh, from Andrew, Melbana Energy, a no, and Joyce, a no as well. If you'd like um, any of your stocks for me to put to our expert panel, put them in an email, the call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at osbiztv handle. You can see all the stocks in the calls portfolio at osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. <laughs>